0: Okay, so, after our thing last week, mm-hmm. our f- episode 40, mm-hmm. which is just us answering all right. the questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, like, an hour after we were done recording, I checked our uh, Instagram, mm-hmm. and we had another, like, 20 questions <laughs> from our friend Sulema. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just going to pick a couple, Okay, and we'll answer those. As a little As, intro. Yeah, exactly. All right. We'll go with favorite musical. Ooh. That's a good question. That is a good question. (sighs) Shit. Yeah. (laughs) There's so many. Yeah, there is. I'm going between a few. Okay. I think right now I want to say Sweeney Todd. Oh. I would not have expected that one. Because... I like it a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Helena Bonham Carter, the movie version. Great. Mm -hmm. Johnny Depp, too bad. Um, (laughs) But unlike other... What I like about Sweeney Todd that's not like other musicals Uh is that there's no real chorus. So it feels very genuine when they start just singing. That is very true. And it's it's very unlike other musicals. It's a bit creepy. It Mm -hmm. has tragic ending. Mm Mm-hmm. I like it. Fun fact: In the stage production for Mm -hmm. Sweeney Todd, at the very, very beginning of the show, there's, you know, like the ballad of Sweeney Todd is being sung, and then there's something that's. It sounds like um, like a horn from a ship that's really loud, Mm -hmm. but it also kind of sounds like a scream, and then all the lights go red. Mm. And it's very creepy. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Also, in one of the in the one of the opening songs, mm-hmm. you know, the there's a hole in the world like a great back pitch, yes, and it's yeah, filled yeah. with people who are filled with shit. Uh-huh. There's a part of it where the like young, young gentleman is singing about all the wonders he sings and he loves uh-huh. London. And then it goes to, <laughs> to Sweeney Todd and there's a line that he says, and it's The cruelty of men is as wondrous as peru Uh uh-huh and i think that's funny because that just means that he really liked peru (laughs) (laughs) and it's a character that doesn't like anything (laughs) except i like to extrapolate Uh... that he was a gem while he was in peru he was just like wow (laughs) the world is so cool (laughs) that's hilarious i never thought of that i like senor pirelli from that show from yeah because I think he's, I That's, think it's funny that he's an Englishman, but, you know, he's yeah. very pompous and wears this ridiculous wig and I just like him. Yeah. Okay. Favorite. I really, for, for similar reasons, I really, really love Little Shop of Horrors. Mm. I fucking, I love Audrey. The, I like, I love Audrey too. It's just, it's really good. Like, it's just fun. Yeah. I like... Those seem like two very on-brand <laughs> yeah, <I know>, right? <laughs> things for each of us. Like, it's a musical, so it's like, oh, this is fun. This right? is great. But then there, it's also like, oh, it's a horror musical. Exactly. And my second one would have been Young Frankenstein, because mm. also, hysterical. <laughs> it's very, very good. My second one probably would be Rent. Because oh. there's a lot of... That was like one of the first musicals that I watched, mm-hmm. and... There's a lot of nostalgia behind it. Yeah. Even though it's kind of like... It's classic. Yeah. And it's got some good... It's got a good message. Mm-hmm. I And one of the first times I watched it, uh-huh. I, I was with my mom. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. <laughs> it was Lobby Lavi Bohem was on. And I turned around and I was like, Mom, what's masturbation? <laughs> <laughs> And she was like, you're probably too young to be watching this. And I was like, well, I've already seen it. And she's like, yeah. And then later in that song, I turned to my mom and was like, mom, what's sodomy? <laughs> <laughs> and Just really picking out those keywords, aren't you? <laughs> I didn't know what they were. She was like, we're, you'll, you'll get that later. <laughs> I was like. Oh! After having met your mother, I can only imagine how well that went over. Like a lead balloon. (laughs) Oh, I saw, speaking of childhood and Mm -hmm. seeing something far too early, I watched, uh, oh God, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. It was on TV. (laughs) And I was like, this oh my god i i love this and i went to my mom later and i was like mom you will not believe this i watched this great show and there's this song that that went touch it touch it touch it touch me and she was like where did you watch this when where was i she was like maybe don't sing that you don't know what it's about Oh, Oh. childhood. Oh, childhood and musicals. Um. Um, Speaking of mothers, while we're on the topic, Uh I would just, I went and had drinks with Fern, one of my friends. uh uh-huh. And Fern was like, hey, so I listened to the latest episode. And I was like, oh, cool. How'd you like it? And they were like, well, you know, I listened to it with my mom and you really laid into the bush talk. (laughs) 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 And so I w- would now like to issue a formal apology <laughs> to both Kim and Fern for making you sit through that. <laughs> We're so sorry. That's the second person to uh, to mention that uh, somebody at work mm-hmm. was like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Would they was say? like "Boy, I know so much about Kiana now." <laughs> You know, when we're sitting in this room, it's just us three. It's just us. We're just real comfortable. <laughs> the discussion we had before Danny pushed record <laughs> was highly personal, yeah. but was very funny. <laughs> you just sort of forget when there's a mic in front of you that now it's true. just a bunch of people know about, know about old Kiana. And her <laughs> grandma Bush. <laughs> or lack thereof. Or lack I did not of, confirm or deny I feel like we know more about Harry Styles' nipples than we do about that's true most other things. Mm. You want to talk about Harry Styles? <laughs> I did. You know what? I sat down and actually, like, looked at a couple pictures of him the other day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think I get it. Yeah. I, I didn't before. But now that I've actually, like, took the time. To admire. to Yeah. To observe. Mm-hmm. Be like, okay. I I can see it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Episode. Second question. God, that was a very long fucking answer. <laughs> Danny's like, this is supposed to be a short episode <laughs> cuz the last one was damn near 2 hours. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> mhm. So <laughs> So this is this is a question, but it also has a little blurb after it so it says hogwarts house question mark i know we've talked about this before but i was drunk and don't remember <laughs> <laughs> also hufflepuff here <laughs> uh that makes sense because sulema looks very good in yellow yeah, she, yes she does radiant she wears yellow quite frequently several because times and i'm it like works <laughs> I she it's it's gorgeous on her. I can't wear yellow to save my life. <laughs> Look like I'm ill, <laughs> jaundiced. exactly. Okay, Hogwarts house. What are you? Ravenclaw. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> For anybody who's listening, Danny is a Gryffindor. Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. Well, oh. She's the Neville of Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> I can attest, yes, this is very true. Oh, but he's the hero at the end. Yes, that makes really you more. Luna. <gasps> that makes me Luna. Oh, how cute! It She's works. a kook. I like her. <laughs> 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 okay, that was okay. good. So there are a whole bunch of other questions mm-hmm. that we will put on Patreon mm-hmm. because by did we say by November? Less. yeah okay by november wait it is mean, november by the end of november by thanksgiving yes yes by thanksgiving we'll we're, we put, have... we're putting this out there again <laughs> <laughs> if it's not up yet it will be in the next couple weeks because thanksgiving is actually thanksgiving is right at the end of the month this year so you yeah. get like an extra week <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna have like a getting to know you and we'll answer some more questions and mm-hmm. just get into it yeah we <clears throat> might make it a like a monthly thing yeah so if people just want to whenever they have a question mm-hmm. pop pop it over to us we love questions yeah that's why the episode was like two hours yeah. long <laughs> <laughs> that and we both really like to talk yeah about, ourselves, <laughs> about uh, ourselves about ourselves <laughs> city of portland exactly things that in- involve us <laughs> uh-huh exactly Speaking of us, my name is Kiana. I'm Cassie. And this is. That Broad's Got Moxie. Woo! Woo! Danny's here. Danny's here. She's got her head... She just gave a little Ooh. jazz hands. <laughs> More like jazz fingers. There's just, there just two. Of them just. On two separate hands. It wasn't a piece sign. <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> oh, man. So. It's episode. God damn it! Episode 41. forty-one. That means you go first. Ding ding ding. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So I'm about this week? Gonna talk to you today about a woman named Rana Lova the first. Irana. Irana. No, Rana Lova. Rana Lova. R A N A L O V A the first from Madagascar. I think I Googled her. (laughs) Did you find her on Rejected Princesses? I did not. Oh. Was she on Rejected? I think she is. Well, damn. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a source I used. Okay.
1: Um,
0: So the sources I did use were todayifoundout.com and notablebiographies.com. Oh. Not Wikipedia because. Fuck you, Sage. Woo! Um. He's just going to be so sad when he starts to get to these episodes. Yeah, but he expects it. Yeah. Really. He is. I've decided he's my nemesis. <laughs> so. <laughs> he He's aware okay. this isn't a secret thing. No. He's my nemesis. Fair. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> on to the story. Not much is known about Rana Lova's childhood, um, but she was probably born and her name was Ramova, to her commoner parents in 1788 in Madagascar. Fun fact, her ancestry, like that of many other members of the island's dominant Marina ethnic group, was probably mostly Indonesian rather than African. Um, Madagascar's language and culture is actually pretty closely connected to Southeast Asian culture because that's where, like, prehistoric populations came from rather than africa even though interesting i I did think that was really interesting (laughs) anywho ronalova had fairly humble beginnings and lived a normal ass life uh until she just sort of wound up as a part of the royal family okay so you see what happened was her father learned of a plot to to murder the king that was in powder Uh, in powder powder, power (laughs) sorry (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going to show you his name. Okay. And you're going to try to pronounce it because oh, when I saw it, I was taken quite aback. Okay. Okay. Andriana Mapoina Marina. Probably. <laughs> there's a lot of work. there's a lot of letters. Andrian Mapoina Marina. That's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's his name solid okay anyways people were plotting to kill this dude and when her father learned about it he told the king Mm -hmm. and foiled the whole plot uh the king was so thankful that he then adopted ronalova as his own daughter and make which made her a royal of madagascar and he went one step further and even arranged for her to marry his son Mm -hmm. a little weird because now they're siblings yeah but anywho (laughs) i mean at least they're not blood so there's that and it's not like she was an orphan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so was it- I love that he was just like, here, I'll do you a favor. Let me take <laughs> her off your hands. <laughs> Easy peasy. That doesn't seem like a very good thank you. <laughs> but anyways, she's now next in line for the throne oh. because she's going to marry. Yes. Okay. The eldest son. Um, later on, when her betrothed became King Radama I, Ranalova became the first of his 12 wives. Oh. Count them. One, two. <laughs> Three, four, five, six. <laughs> et, cetera, et cetera, And at 12. But in this position as first wife, it was her children that would become heirs to the throne mm-hmm. and not anybody else's child. However, the marriage was not a particularly close one due to the differing beliefs on the settling colonies. So okay. from Europe. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps it was too many cooks in the kitchen. Either way, they had no children. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, this became a problem when the king died after suffering from syphilis and cirrhosis of the liver in the summer of 1828. Some say he died from combination of those two things. Mm-hmm. But others say that he was just suffering so horribly from both mm-hmm. that he chose to end his own life. Oh, okay. Either way, he's Bad. dead now mm-hmm. and they have no children. Now that the king was dead and Rana Lova and him had no heir, the question of who would succeed him hung in the air. Mm -hmm. Malagasy tradition stated that any children that Rana Lova had would be considered the king's son, even if it wasn't from him. Oh, okay. So that child would be the successor to the throne. Mm -hmm. However, they needed somebody to rule until she had a child. (laughs) So, people claimed that the rightful heir to the throne in the meantime was Prince Rakitoba, who is the king's nephew. That being said, Rana Lova was no dummy. She knew that if he took over, there was no way in hell he'd let her survive yeah. long enough to have a child. <laughs> so, because she was obviously a threat to his rule. Mm-hmm. So, before he could take her out, she was like, I'm going to put myself into power. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to take care of business. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going to, you know, figure this out because... I like to live. Mm -hmm. Um, So as news spread throughout the country about the king's death, she quickly mobilized a group of military men from her home village and occupied the palace. She had befriended this group of military men during the king's Mm reign. Remember when I said that her and her husband had differing opinions on the English? That's right. So she essentially went to the other people who weren't in support of... So her... Her husband was in support of Western influence. Okay. And he was like, yeah, let's make deals with Mm -hmm. them. Let's let them spread their religion here. Blah, blah, blah. And she was like, no, let's keep a hold of our things Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. not let these outsiders take over us like they had done to most (laughs) of the others. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So during his time in power, she allied herself with religious figures and lawgivers in the traditional belief system. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they were the ones who helped her occupy the palace. Got you. Okay. Yes. So many traditionalists believed in Ronalova, and so they gathered to help her secure the throne. And so when the defenders of Prince Rakitoba showed up to the castle mm-hmm. to take his place, yeah. they had a choice to make. Oh. Accept her as your queen mm-hmm. or suffer. And everybody was like, well, I don't want to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> Queen it is. (laughs) (laughs) So the men would then default to her side, and then she grew in power until, like, she was unstoppable. Nice. And so on August 1st, 1928, she was declared the rightful ruler. Hmm. The fact that she was a woman ruler was not so remarkable in itself. Uh, Their culture had a strong matrilineal element. Okay. Okay. But what was remarkable was the speed in which she consolidated her power. Yeah. So, wow. Um, her first order of business as queen killed a guy that was going to kill her. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Prince Rakitova was speared to death. Oh, shit. And his mother was starved so that she wouldn't... So Ronalova didn't want to break the taboo of shedding royal female blood. Oh. So she... His mother couldn't be speared, so she just had a worse death and suffered for a really yeah. long time. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds like a bad time. Yeah. So Rana ronalova also casually killed everybody else of his <laughs> in his family. So you know, chill. You got anything? You, you related in any third cousin? Dead. Rip. Goodbye. <laughs> And then almost a year later on ju- uh, June 12, 1829, she underwent a secret accession ceremony in which her body was anointed with the blood of a freshly killed bull. And this was essentially the coronation. Okay. So she's now officially queen in name, not just in practice. Mhm. And at her coronation, she proclaimed, "Never say," oh, no. she proclaimed, quote, never say she is only a feeble and ignorant woman how can she rule such a vast empire i will rule here to the good fortune of my people and the glory of my name i will worship no gods but those of my ancestors the ocean shall be the boundary of my realm and i will not cede the thickness of one hair on my realm so she was like don't try to take my power yeah yeah oh i like her Oh damn it! I do that <laughs> every, every time. time. Every time you just I, fall I just for it. Really ju- <laughs> jump the gun. I'm like, oh yeah, go girl. Usually, and, <laughs> usually people in power don't exactly, <laughs> you know, yeah. rule morally. Uh, fair. <laughs> Anyways, Rana Lova attempted to stick to traditional values when she became leader, and turned almost turned over almost all of her late husband's laws and policies regarding Western influences. So he had allowed them to come in, and she immediately was like, Nope, not get out. Not here. <laughs> not in this country. <laughs> so she, she kicked the missionaries out, threw away trade agreements with France and England, and fought off an attack from the French Navy. Oh, shit. Rana Lova forbade the practice of Christianity within her kingdom, claiming that she wanted nothing to do with the teaching of Christianity, baptisms, or Sunday services. She later said that she would not deny foreigners their freedom of religion, but it would not be taught to her people. Hmm. And whoever broke the law of the kingdom would be put to death. That seems like, yeah. Not, no. Uh, a uh, excessive. <laughs> mm. Discipline under Ranalova was brutal. Those who were suspected of resistance were given an age-old loyalty test called tingia. And in this practice, mm-hmm. they had to eat three chicken skins, followed by a poisonous nut that would make them throw up. Ew. If they were innocent of the charges, yeah, they would throw up all three chicken skins. But if not, they wouldn't be proclaimed innocent, so they would be killed. This is like ducking with witches. It's a lose yeah. lose situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't you don't die after you throw up the chicken skins. Oh, it's the quote poisonous is because it makes you throw up. It's not because it actually oh, okay. kills you. Okay, oh, gotcha. Ugh. So there is a win, kind of, but it's gross. It's gross win. Uh, she tried to get one of her lovers to do this, um, and her lover, also that might have been her baby daddy, because she did have a child. Gotcha. Um. <laughs> <Her> baby daddy. <laughs> <laughs> she tried to get him to do it because he was caught with another woman. Oh. And she was like, if you're innocent, you'll be able to pass this. And he was like, I'm not gonna fucking do that. <laughs> and she was like, chill. Here's a spear through the neck. You're dead. We're calling oh, no. it a day. Okay. So rip him. <laughs> She wasn't super peaceful, Mm -hmm. and so many foreign Christians fled um, because they were, like, the focus of her ire. And so they fled, the foreigners fled, leaving their newly converted locals, local Christians, Mm -hmm. to face fines, imprisonment, torture, and execution. At one point, Rana Lova ordered that 15 Christian leaders dangle by ropes over a rocky ravine. Then the ropes were cut and sending them... Oh my goodness! Curse Blat! Yes. Oh no. That's a good word. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not super tasteful, (laughs) but a little crass, Uh, maybe. But I like. What are you gonna do? Curse Blat. Christians and her lovers weren't the only ones to suffer under her reign. Good lord! (laughs) Tribes other than the Marina, which were what she. Okay. Uh huh living in different parts of Madagascar, suffered under her rule mm. because she gave her troops free reign to make annual pillaging trips over to these villages. Jesus. Right. Despite her attempts to resist Western influence, Ranalova had a curiously ambivalent attitude towards the West. So specifically the French. She was kind of into it. Okay. Except her only issue... Was Christianity. Like, that's the thing oh, okay. she really didn't like, but she didn't yeah. mind. She wore a lot of, like, dresses and would, like, you know. Uh-huh. uh-huh. She liked fashion. Who does Can you blame her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, But she even went as far as to allowing a Frenchman into her inner circle and possibly into her. <laughs> AKA, <laughs> A.K.A. he also may have been her child's father. It's unclear if it he was... was in the inner, inner circle. <laughs> oh, yeah. The sacred circle. <laughs> Bush, if you will. Um, um, so it was between him and the other dude. They don't know who gotcha. the father of her child was. Sure. But this man, the Frenchman, mm-hmm. was a smart dude, and he did a lot to give her more power as a ruler. Mm-hmm. Did I say his name? No, but let's call him Jacques. Well. That actually might be his name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I really just delete his name out of there? Yeah, you totally didn't put it in at all. Yeah. Well, his last name is Laborde. Lab, Laborde. Okay. La blah. <laughs> is that offensive? <laughs> Maybe. We'll it's call spelled- him Jacques. It's, it, is that offensive? <laughs> <laughs> it's spelled, his last name is spelled L-A-B-O-R-D-E. La <laughs> Okay, fair. Anyways. You don't speak French. He... I don't. So but she- he gave her power as a ruler mm-hmm. because he was really into, like, engineering and metal stuff. Okay. And so he directed the construction of a new factory some miles away from the capital. Mm-hmm. And there he supervised the manufacture not only of guns and gunpowder for her army, oh. but for soap, silks, ceramics... And other items for which the kingdom previously didn't have access to, to, like, trade. Interesting. So, they had it, but it wasn't in excess to trade with other people. Sure. So, they weren't making a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. But now at the factory, they were. Huh. Um, he also directed construction of an elaborate palace for Ronalova on a hill. But it burnt down in 1995. Oh, so. in 1995? Yeah. So, it stood for a really long time. Yeah. But... It's not there anymore. Like, you can't visit it, is what I'm trying to say. Now, Ranalova was powerful as well as prosperous. Mm -hmm. So, she was regarded by the Malagasy people as a ruler favored by the gods. And so, nobody liked her (laughs) in Europe (laughs) because they were like, like, oh, she's doing, she's holding off the land that we want. Yeah. So, the French and the English were like, you know... She's pissed both of us off. Let's go and attack her. So they Apparently. went and tried to attack her in 1849, but failed miserably. <laughs> so okay. they were surprised because there was a false fronted native fort. So they were like, oh, this little thing, let's go fucking knock it down. Sure. But then it ended up being huge because oh. it, was, it was like intentionally uh huh, a like red herring gotcha oh oh sneaky sneaky exactly so she's like i don't fucking trust you (laughs) you're in my inner circle and then some maybe no not him not him it was just oh it was the country (laughs) okay he was still he was france just fuck france yeah (laughs) I get big eyes when I say fuck something and <laughs> Candace says it all the time and she doesn't get eyes. It's because I'm cool. Apparently. <laughs> but anyways, they failed. Mm-hmm. And they also failed because the French and English were like, well, if, if we win, who gets this land? So yeah. they were some inner struggling as well as they underestimated their opponents. Gotcha. And so Ron Alova, emerged the victor and she set 21 european skulls mounted on poles on the shoreline Mm -hmm. so that if anybody else decided to come Mm -hmm. and try and take her land they would see people failed doing that maybe let's not let's turn around and go back to where we came from exactly so europeans hated this woman's guts obvious reasons (laughs) Um, but later in her life her followers also became a bit weary of her Due to some increasingly erratic behavior later in life. Which, whenever somebody is in contact with somebody else who has syphilis, that, like, deteriorates the brain. Yeah, yeah. So, I I didn't read this anywhere, but I kind of imagine she went a little bit kooky because of perhaps some syphilis. Sure, yeah. Anyways... One such example of her being a little kooky, she demanded that an an entire court, along with a huge number of servants and slaves, go on a buffalo hunt. This was around 50,000 people that she sent to do this. Jesus! And she didn't provide them with many supplies, or any at all. Mm -hmm. And she also was like, oh, while you're out hunting buffalo, build a road. (laughs) So... (laughs) it didn't go well and many people just died from hunger and exhaustion on the trip mm-hmm. and around it was around 10,000 people of the 50,000 that died good lord during the 4 month long hunt in which they actually killed no buffalo i was just going to say are there <laughs> fucking buffalo in madagascar i don't know <laughs> that's as a very far, fair question as far as i'm aware there's a bunch of there's a bunch of lemurs <laughs> you should have gone on a and lemur hunt there's a lion and a hippo and a giraffe oh my this is the child's movie <laughs> i know they sing i like to move it move it that's the extent <laughs> of what i know about madagascar chris rock is there chris- <laughs> he's a zebra i forgot the zebra <laughs> No buffalo, though. It, probably what the 50,000 people were thinking when they were looking for <laughs> buffalo. <laughs> they were like, is there even any buffalo in Madagascar? <laughs> they just saw Chris Rock off in the <laughs> distance. <laughs> uh, Rana Lova is often portrayed as a brutish tyrant by many of her contemporary European leaders. Mm-hmm. And while she was quite brutish, no denying that, She was actually quite a good politician and leader. Hmm. She did her best to retain her country's cultural heritage and defended it against powerful foreign nations who wanted wanted to take advantage of the island's resources. And she also expanded her territory to cover nearly the entirety of Madagascar. Wow. Her son, who I had mentioned that she had but didn't really get into, because he's a punk ass bitch, Uh (laughs) and her confidant. The, the Frenchmen, uh-huh. they ended up turning against her as she went, started going oh. a little mad. And so in 1857, they attempted to assassinate her. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Rana Lova, probably with the help of spies, foiled the plan. <laughs> yes, she did. She purged the people who were. Of course she <laughs> did. <laughs> but then her son was survived and was like, please don't kill my friends. I like them. <laughs> and she was like, okay, I won't kill them but then she sent them to kill more walk. buffalo <laughs> well no they walked through a marsh that was that they knew was malaria ridden <gasps> oh my god <laughs> and then so as a result she didn't kill them but they died of malaria of course except her son and the the frenchman survived and <laughs> and on lot of bystanders here right and on August 16th 1861 the brute ronalova died peacefully of old age shit and then her son took over and the frenchman was his consultant or whatever grand vizier zazu of (laughs) from the lion king is who he was (laughs) that said the death toll associated with ronalova did not stop at her death because at her funeral, a barrel of gunpowder was accident- accidentally ignited, <gasps> and the resulting explosion killed several funeral attendees. Oh my gosh. And it was perhaps the most fitting end <laughs> to her life. She went out with a bang. She <laughs> literally went out with a bang. <laughs> Damn. And that is Rana Lova. That's a good story. <laughs> You know what? I love a woman in power. I aside w- just from the wish, killing, I <laughs> just wish maybe maybe not so many bad things. Yeah, don't, but like don't kill so many people. But I do love that she was like, "No, this is my country. Mm-hmm. This is the way things are gonna go. We're not gonna let all these white Europeans just come in and take our land and yeah. our our history and our culture." Mm-hmm. So that's pretty badass. Yeah, they ended up after her death. Her son took over and then was assassinated two weeks two weeks into his rule. Oh shit! By the French, <laughs> <laughs> by his zazu, <laughs> by what his an zazu, and then they became a French colony. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, because of Rana Lova's holding off uh-huh. the colon the colonizers for her whole life, mm-hmm. they have a richer history with their native. Okay. Um, native culture than a lot of other colonized nations have interesting so then that was due to her very cool oh yeah. i like that also she's called the mad queen of madagascar sometimes <laughs> i think i'm i'm um look i'm 90 percent sure that she's re- she's one of the rejected princesses because that the mad queen of madagascar yeah. i have definitely heard Ugh! how did i miss out on that <laughs> damn it damn it all right. My turn. hmm So, today, I am talking about Junko Tabai. Mm. I have not heard of this person. She is the first woman to reach the summit of Mount Everest. Ooh! Mm-hmm. I have heard of her. Yeah. But only that she got up there. Only... Yeah. <laughs> and she's... <laughs> she's got a very interesting... A very interesting story. Yeah. So, okay. So, Junko Tobai was born Ishibashi Junko in Maharu Fukushima in, uh, excuse me, on September 22nd, 1939. So, she's born right at the beginning of World War II. Or mm. just, just before, excuse yeah. me, just before. She was the fifth daughter on, so, also the youngest daughter, in a family of seven children. Hold on. Younger brothers.
1: Yeah, oh. So
0: she's got... She was the last daughter. <laughs> they had five girls. She's the youngest of the girls, and she has two younger brothers. I, <laughs> you were really struggling Danny, with that. Danny came in with the assist there because I was so confused. <laughs> I was like, how can she be the youngest, but the fifth child when there are seven Please. <laughs> okay, I get it now. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> um, she was considered a frail, weak child, um, having survived pneumonia several times in her early childhood. Uh, but nevertheless, she began mountain climbing at the age of 10. And so this all was because she, in fourth grade, her class went on like a field trip to Mount Nasu. hmm And she was like this is stunning it's so cool and so it just became like something that she wanted to do and although she was interested in doing more climbing her family was just a working class family they owned a printing business and they just didn't have like excess money for such an expensive hobby yeah and then Tabai only made a few climbs uh during her high school years She's very shy. It's very quiet. She came from a really small town. And because she was so, like, frail and weak, she was really terrible in, like, gym class. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she really loved to sing. And she played the harp and the piano. And oh. So that was, like, just, you know, that was her thing. Mm-hmm. From 1958 to 1962... Jinko studied English, lit- excuse me, studied English literature and education at Shawa Women's University, where she was a member of the mountain climbing club. Oh. At the university, she, excuse me. Not at the university. Cause she was at a women's university mm-hmm. when she was dur- you know when she was attending yeah. university. She encountered a group of male students who were in an alpine club, mm-hmm. and so she was like, "Man, that sounds like a lot of fun." Like they, they weren't just like a school group. Like they went and did climbs together, etc. Mm-hmm. And so she actually developed a relationship. Not like a romantic relationship. Yeah. But kind of joined the group, spent a lot of time with them, and got her sea legs. hmm But in the mountains. But in the mountains. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> with the guy who ran that group. Okay. So, that was, like, not in school, is extracurriculars outside of it. Anyway. In 1965, while she was in that group, uh, Junko married a fellow mountaineer named Masanobu Tabai, and the couple had two children. Um, First, they had a daughter named Noriko and a son named Shinya. After graduating from college, Tabai formed the... I'm sorry, I keep going back and forth between like calling her by her first name and calling her by second name. It's okay. So, I know who okay. you're talking okay. about. <laughs> uh, so anyway, she formed the Ladies Climbing Club hmm. in 1969. And so the club's slogan was, quote, let's go on an overseas expedition by ourselves. And this was like <laughs> the first of its kind. So it's the it's the late 60s, early seventies. Mm-hmm. In Japan, not a lot of women are working outside of the home. Yeah. They're mainly stay at home mothers and wives keeping you know, doing all the domestic things while their husbands are the ones going out and working. Yeah. This is like a few years before the Suki Bon Girl game started up. So they that's this is when they got Tukuban was when they got tired of this part. They were, like, even when they did have, I was reading, even when they did have jobs, like, outside of the home, Mm -hmm. they were hired to pour tea, (laughs) you know, and, like... (laughs) Yeah. do, Do that kind of thing in an office. Yeah. So it's still, it's not... It's not a it female-driven like career... Full liberation. Exactly. Empowerment. Not at all. Not as- at all. <laughs> so Junko later stated that she founded the club as a result of how she was treated by some of the male mountaineers in the, the group that she was in yeah. in the past. They didn't treat her well as a I know. woman in an all male group? right? <laughs> what? Yeah. So some men had actually refused to climb with her. While others thought she was only interested in climbing as a way to find a husband, and it's like she already had a husband for real. It's like she did not want your dusty she ass. Happened to meet her husband <laughs> in the group. Mm-hmm. And it was like, can't she just have a fucking hobby? Right. Not everything is is because we're you know she's just like oh my god I need to find a man yeah. Ugh. So, anyway, stupid. Yeah, real <laughs> dumb. So during this time when she was with the uh the Ladies Climbing Club, she climbed uh Mount Fuji in Japan and the Matterhorn mm. in the Swiss Alps. Mm. Uh Junko became the first woman to successfully summit Annapurna 3rd. Use <laughs> <laughs> no, i don't gonna, know what that i've never heard, it, i don't know her i've never heard of that woman in my life <laughs> i don't know her so Annapurna three i think yeah what would, would i say the third because it's got it says Annapurna and then like three as like a uh, roman numeral roman numeral three i think it's the third you think so well because like ronalova had one That's behind true. her Ron name of a one
1: but okay. you could not call
0: him on a level one. it <laughs> sounds like a computer program. <laughs> yeah, it does. Okay. So, anyway. She was the first woman to successfully summit on Aparna the Third, um, which is a big fucking huge mountain in Nepal. Okay. In May of 1970. So, that. just to look. I have a lot of, like, heights in mm-hmm. here because they're going to blow your goddamn mind. Do you have... comparison oh no i don't but i could i could tell you hold on take a pause for one second how tall is mount hood okay boy that's tall okay okay i have some comparisons now i'm also writing with my i just wrote all of those letters (laughs) backwards with my left hand i I saw you pick up the pen and right now i was like that feels wrong (laughs) (laughs) you're telling me it feels wrong okay back to the story Okay, so Annapurna. Let me just throw this out there: twenty four thousand seven hundred and eighty six feet to the summit. To put that into perspective for our listeners and um, me, in and you, <laughs> um, in Oregon, Mount Hood is eleven thousand two hundred and thirty seven. Oh my God! <laughs> and the Empire State Building is one thousand two hundred and fifty feet. So it's 20, essentially 24 Empire State Buildings? Yes, essentially. That's unnatural. It's, that's too tall. <laughs> it's, really, it's really up there. Sorry, I and just called a mountain unnatural. That's, <laughs> if anything's natural, it's a mountain. <laughs> that's true. But also, that's not even the tallest one. Okay. Anyway, let me, let me continue. So, this she did this in 1970. Afterwards, the Ladies Climbing Club decided to tackle Mount Everest. Casual. Cas- Real cash-like. And this is a quote from Junko. She said, quote, There was never a question in my mind that I wanted to climb that mountain, no matter what other people said. Because Ooh. I guarantee you people were like, bitch, you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that. We love a girl with a dream. We do. The LCC, Ladies Climbing Club, contained a team known as the Japanese Women's Everest Expedition. It was headed by Aiko Hisano. She was the woman who led this group. And they were... It was a group of 15 members uh, that were going to attempt to summit Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. They were mostly working women, including... um, There were a bunch of teachers, a computer programmer, a counselor, and two of them, including Junko, were mothers, Junko helped to find sponsors for the expedition, although she was frequently told that the women, quote, should be raising children instead. (laughs) She's doing both. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Sorry for my obscene hand gestures. It's okay. Um, They didn't the the audience. They didn't see it. (laughs) Sorry to you two. she was able to obtain some last minute funding from from the Yomiuri Shimbun newspaper and Nippon Television. So both both of these obviously are media outlets mm-hmm. who were like, well, "Why not? <laughs> <They're> like, <Yeah. laughs> sure, let's that'll that'll be some fucking cool news. We'll yeah. we'll sell some papers and get some good media coverage for this." However, despite fundraising and stuff, the group members still had to pay an amount. An amount of money that was almost equal to an average salary. Annual? An an, annual salary. Yeah. Oh, wow. For, like, an average Japanese... Median income. Median income, yes. So, that's still a shit ton of money. So, to save money, they would use recycled car seats to... Like, the fabric on them Mm -hmm. to sew up, like, waterproof pouches. And made overgloves, mm-hmm. which are gloves you put over gloves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Get it? Yeah. Um, they also purchased goose feathers from China and made their own sleeping bags. Wow. I know. <laughs> I wouldn't have. Uh, I wouldn't trust myself to make them. <laughs> no, I'd be like, <laughs> sleeping bag. I'm going to freeze to death, is what's going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Students at schools and stuff collected unused packets of jam for their teachers. Which I thought was really cute. They (laughs) were like, here's some smuckers. (laughs) Take this with you to the mountain. So after a long training period, the team began the expedition early in 1975 when they traveled to Kathmandu. They were planning to use the same route to ascend the mountain that Sir Edmund Hillary and his guide Tenzig Norgay had taken in 1953. Those were the Two first guys to ever go up Mount yeah. Everest, right? So they're taking the same path essentially. In early May, the group was camping at. So this is where they're fucking camped. Mm-hmm. They are twenty thousand six hundred and sixty nine feet up the mountain. Yeah, they're like one mountain up the mountain. <clears throat> exactly. They're well, they're like two thirds. They're like yeah. two thirds up. Um, and this is where they set up their base camp. And in the middle of the night, there's a fucking avalanche. And it wiped everything out. Oh, no. Yes. So. Can I say a survival tip if you're ever in an avalanche? Yes, please. I love survival tips. So, in an avalanche, if you're surrounded by snow Uh and you don't know which way is up, Uh spit. Because the spit will go down. And so you go the opposite way of your spit to climb out of the snow. Fascinating. Fascinating. Oh, what a good idea. Yeah. I learned that and I always remembered it because I was like, if I'm ever in an avalanche, this will be in ha- come in handy. Yeah. I'm never anywhere where <laughs> there would be an avalanche. Yeah, but you never know. Yeah. And that's, I just wanted to share that with everybody else. That's fascinating. Thank you for that. All right. Good. To, I'm going to put that in my file drawer. Let's store it in there. I like it. So there's an avalanche. It wiped out their entire base camp. I was reading an excerpt from a book mm-hmm. that has, that was translated from a bunch of her writing. And like when this avalanche came, it was the middle of the night, everyone's sleeping, there's this noise and then just s- something slamming into her. And it was just, I was reading it and I was getting a little like, I need to skip, <laughs> skip this chapter. <laughs> I can't read this. Like it was yeah. really, um, it was very scary yeah. to, to read about it. Yeah. So, luckily, no one died, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. There were a couple people who got injured, and a majority of the people, after they put base camp back together, were like, I can't do this. So, Junko and her guide named Aang Sering continued, they were the only two who continued up into the, quote, death zone. So, the death zone is above... I think it's eight thousand meters, which is essentially like twenty-one thousand or twenty-two thousand f- feet, mm-hmm. and that's where there's no oxygen. Yeah, so you can't breathe up there. Mm-hmm. Don't know why people do this. <laughs> on it, there's no air there. That means you shouldn't go. <laughs> if you can't breathe, it's like going into the. O- if you're gonna go, <laughs> no, The deep no. down in the ocean, there's no water down there. No. <laughs> there's no (laughs) shut up i got the biggest eye roll from danny she's like duh this one (laughs) there's no air down there there's no air down there so take your chances it's like when people go to space there's no (laughs) air up there there sure isn't we are really pushing our parameters we are human race. (laughs) and maybe we should just not right fucking calm down (laughs) <laughs> okay. So anyway, so those two are the only ones who continued up into the death zone. So 12 days after this avalanche mm. had wiped out everything, on May 16th, 1975, Junko Tabai became the first woman to reach the summit of Everest. And just so you know, Mount Everest is 29,029 feet. That's so high. I can't even think of how high that is. No. That it's is just up all the way. That's was roughly let's see 29 empires. It's a little under 29 empires. And a little under 3 mount hoods. And a little under 3. So take mount hood, stack it 3 times and it's damn near that tall. Wow. Yeah. That's too high. Can you even imagine no, I can't. <laughs> I, can't even, I just said. you can't even wrap your brain around it. It's too high. It's fucking bananas. So, this is a quote. She said, "Quote, the final ascent was a step-by-step struggle, but when I arrived, I didn't have an overwhelming sense of achievement. It was more like relief. I couldn't believe the climb was finally over and I had to go down <laughs> instead of up." <laughs> The precious thing about that moment was, beyond being the first woman there, the summit of Everest was utterly beautiful without a single man-made object in sight. Oh. Which I thought was really lovely. Yeah. I can't... can't, Look, heights are a no-go for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I am not a fan. So to be, like, so high up Mm -hmm. that you look around and there's... nothing Nothing. there's like there's you and there's whatever you're fucking standing on and there's your guide (laughs) and nothing it's like being in outer space it's got to be wild also i was reading this other little bit where so in preparation for for this expedition Mm -hmm. they had read a ton of like diaries and notes about people who had done it before Mm -hmm. but there's this part where she had to cross 10 or 15 meters which is what 30 it's somewhere between 30 and 40 feet I don't know meters (laughs) I don't know her (laughs) um so she had to cross this like ice ridge Oh. So, and it splits right down the middle. Mm -hmm. One half is China and the other half is Nepal. So she's got her top half in the China side Mm -hmm. and her bottom half in the Nepal side. And she's scooting sideways on this, like, this, like this. It's like a ridge of ice. And she has to, like, shuffle her body across with... On either side and she's like, Well, if I fall down face forward, I'm gonna go down six thousand feet. In in China in, or Nepal? <laughs> in China <laughs> and if I slide backwards I'm going feet first down the mountain six thousand feet into Nepal. I'd rather go to Nepal if I'm falling. <laughs> feet first or head first? Yeah, feet first or head first is how you would go down. You're either gonna slide down on your belly face first or slide down on your belly feet first. You're not going to get very far because you're going to hit rocks and big hunks of ice. Ooh. It's going to be bad. Do you know how many bodies are just littered up on Mount Everest? Oh, a it's ton. Fucking bananas. Yeah, <sighs> I couldn't. I couldn't people, do it. People, this is a hobby. Yeah, people do this for fun. Make a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Stay home in your pajamas. And talk into a microphone. At the very least, pick a smaller mountain. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You want to walk more? Go up and down a few times. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, it's incredible. She did it. She's amazing. As a result of her achievement, Junko was showered with attention. She received messages from the king of Nepal and from the Japanese government... There was a television miniseries made about the exp- expedition, hmm. and that was, I'm sorry, I was very, <laughs> Danny just smelled a pair of socks. She's folding laundry. I didn't, but I didn't realize that. I didn't either. <laughs> I also, earlier in, <laughs> earlier in our storytelling, I noticed they have a, like a There's silver a, mixing a bowl. A big mixing bowl full of, of socks. <laughs> full of socks and underpants. <laughs> cuz we don't like to fold them. But Danny's got nothing better to do anywhere. Any- anyway. <laughs> anyway. That sounded like God. a cutting insult to Danny. <laughs> She's nothing better to do anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. So, what was I saying? Message from the King of Nepal. Message, message from Japan. Mini series made about the expedition. And um she toured through Japan and did a bunch of like lectures and talks about her experience and stuff. Also, a little bit like later throughout her life, mm-hmm. she wrote a bunch of books that were only ever published in like Japanese. Mm. And so, just last year or maybe 2 years ago, they translated a whole a whole bunch of these you know, chapters and stories and stuff into a book called honoring high places Hmm. is what the English title for the book is called. Was it, was it just her entry or was it a bunch of entries about, it's a bunch of entries about, um, Her expedition, like, there's a whole chapter about the avalanche. There's a whole chapter about the, you know, the climb through the death zone. Mm -hmm. I guess, is it only her story or is it multiple? Okay. No, it's just her story. Okay. But it's cool because she remembered a lot Mm -hmm. from this crazy experience. And so there's a lot of, like, dialogue and... Like I said, the part about the avalanche specifically, I was like, I can't read any more of this. <laughs> it's so stressful. So Junko was really kind of uncomfortable with the like level of fame mm-hmm. that she had achieved, so she went and did kind of like a like a lecture tour and stuff, but then just kind of went back to being a wife and a mother and a mountain climber. And a mountain climber. Yeah. So, after her success on Everest, she decided on a new challenge. And with that in mind, she set off on her next adventure. So, these are some of the mountains she climbed. In Africa, she climbed Kilimanjaro in Tanzania in 1980. And that is 19,340 feet. South America, Mount Aconcagua in Argentina. She did that in 1987. Which is twenty two thousand eight hundred and thirty one feet. Oh wow. hmm In North America, she climbed Denali, which formerly Mount McKinley. Mm-hmm. Um, in Alaska in eighty-eight. That's twenty thousand three hundred and ten feet. In Europe, she climbed Mount Elbrus in Russia in eighty nine. That's eighteen thousand five hundred and ten feet. Mm-hmm. In Antarctica. Oh wow. Vinson Massif, which is, like, Mount Vinson, mm-hmm. which is 16,050 feet. She did that in 91. And in Australia... In, excuse me. In June of 1992, she climbed Jaya Peak in Australia. Excuse me. It's in Indonesia. Okay. But it's part of the... Uh, I'm, I'm going to get there. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> she, cal- <laughs> she climbs Jaya Peak in Indonesia, in ninety two, and that's sixteen thousand twenty four feet. So that after completing all of those, she was the first woman to conquer the seven summits. Oh. So she and it's a little okay. bit debated because, you know, if you if you go by tectonic plates, one is taller than the other. But the seven sub the seven summits are the seven tallest peaks mm-hmm. on the seven different continents. Okay. so the one in indonesia is the biggest is the tallest mountain is it like oceana australia yes it's like Ashley. Okay. A- exactly so like i said if you look at it one way the plates it's in one way and if you look at it just continents it's another way but whatever she did oh, it okay. and it's fucking cool she's the first woman to ever do all seven of them <sighs> in addition to her climbing Junko worked on ecological concerns. So in 2000, she completed a postgraduate studies at Kyushu University, um, and she focused on the environmental degradation of Everest caused by the waste left behind by climbing groups. Mm -hmm. She was also the director of the Himalayan Adventure Trust of Japan, which is an organization working at a global level to preserve mountain environments one of their big projects was to build an incinerator to burn like people's garbage like climbers garbage yeah where would Um, they put it i'm not sure because i feel like if it was on the mountain it's it's not on the mountain okay for sure (laughs) She also led and participated in, quote, like, cleanup climbs Mm -hmm. in Japan Mm -hmm. and in the Himalayas. And I put, because assholes exist everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) If you pack it in, you pack it out. Yeah. I don't hike. Mm -hmm. And when I do, I complain the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) But even I know that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. Um, Also, there was a big thing. It was like, the number of people who, like, have to go to the bathroom mm-hmm. on Mount Everest. Like, the people at the bottom of the mountain depend on, like... The runoff. Their runoff and, like, melting snow. hmm So maybe let's just think about these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in 2012, Junko was diagnosed with cancer, mm. but she continued to travel and climb mountains for the next four years. Over the course of her life, she climbed hundreds of mountains, including the highest peaks in 73 countries. I know. Man, she's a world traveler. She, Yeah, she is. She's been all over the place. So after writing a note to her husband, along with a sketch of Mount Everest, she died in a hospital on October 20th, 2016, at Mm-mm. the age of 77. mm Mm-hmm. On September 22nd, 2019, Google commemorated her the 80th anniversary of her birth with a Google Doodle. And included in the, the little Google Doodle, it said her motivational slogan is, quote, Do not give up. Keep on your quest. Hmm. And then I just wanted to... So in the mem- at the end, mm-hmm. in the memoir um, that wraps up the book Honoring High Places... Her longtime friend, Satsuko Kitamura, writes, quote, whenever I see hikers and mountaineers, irrespective of age and gender, wrapped in bright-colored outfits here and there in Japan, I cannot help taking it as the new scenery made possible by Junko Tabai, as that site was not present or even thought of prior to her Everest expedition. By demonstrating that we women can do... And then we, the middle senior aged, can do as Tobai did when she reached that age group. she continued opening the door to nature for all. oh, that's really and nice, isn't it? I was just <sighs> I <laughs> thought that was really lovely, yeah so, oh yeah that is the that is the story of Junko tobai that was great thank you i've it's one of those people that like. I know there was a first woman to go up to Everest. Didn't know her name and didn't know her story. And Mm -hmm. that's really great. Yeah. I like it. I am going to, I didn't learn about the book because, well, I didn't do my homework until (laughs) uh, eight o'clock last night. Classic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I didn't know about the book, but I read, like I said, after I was done with my homework, Mm -hmm. I read some parts of it and it's really really fascinating yeah and terrifying yeah so but that's really cool yeah i liked it danny gave me this suggestion (laughs) for (laughs) for junko to buy and the woman i'm covering next week so okay i'm excited yeah to hear about the next one (sighs) okay that's That's all that's the end of our episode that's all we got Please follow us on our social media accounts. That is that got Moxie on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and then on Twitter we're at got Moxie. That's right. And you can rate review and subscribe. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Give us 5 stars. We love those. And you can also if you have you know, questions that you desperately need answered from us (laughs) or (laughs) suggestions for women we should cover or stories you just want to tell us, you can email us at thatbroadscotmoxie at Mm gmail.com. That's all. Yep. Okay. Bye. Bye. Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinnie Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick into the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.